Hi, it's Rach, and in today's episode of The Keto Vegan, I have an incredibly insightful chat with Molly. She's an old student of mine who I supported through an eating disorder whilst at school. Find out how she kept herself through anorexia, which helped her avoid being and feeling vulnerable. Find out what coping mechanisms she has put in place. Find out what she did to gain back control once she wasn't allowed to control her food intake. She says that every single day she says mantras and that, and listen to this, and that in order to love yourself, you have to feel okay with being uncomfortable. During the interview, she tells us how it took them nine attempts to get blood out of her, and this was really early on because of kidney failure and dehydration. This is before she was even diagnosed with anorexia. She says that she isn't scared of her weight anymore, but she won't weigh herself because it has no meaning to her anymore, and you'll see just how far she's come with that. We also explore why dietitians working with eating disorders won't allow plant-based food. So do follow me or subscribe, depending what you're listening on or watching on, for more interviews, for tips and takeaways, and lots of recipe ideas. It's it's really good to see you, Molly. I haven't seen you for a little while, and I want to talk to you about um, being vegan. How long have you been vegan? And also, I want to talk to you about your battle with anorexia. So first of all, when did you become interested in veganism? How long ago was that? So it's quite interesting, actually. Um, when I was about 11, I remember very distinctly in a year seven English class watching Blackfish, the documentary about how orcas are treated in SeaWorld. Um, and I went home and I really just couldn't shake this feeling of like, oh my gosh, is this how animals are treated sort of thing? And it, I was kind of like, well, if this is how orcas are treated, why wouldn't this be the same for other animals? So 11 year old me did her homework on the computer looking at what animals were treated as. Um, and I kind of had a moment and I was like, well, if animals are treated this way and we have enough mental capacity and we are a species where we can avoid this cruel treatment, why don't we do this? Um, then I went downstairs and I said to my mum, I was like, why are we having chicken korma when you can have alternatives sort of thing? Um, and I kind of just got given the circle of life argument, um, but I was never really satisfied with that. Okay. Um, so I, yeah. So how old are you now? You said you watched that when you were 11 years old. So how many years ago was that? Um, so that was six years ago. I'm currently 17. So it was the documentary that sort of wanted, made you want to change, but you weren't able at the time because you were 11 years old, living at home, etc. Mm. I find so often that with people, that's what turned people to being vegan, is seeing something that brings it all to light and that was the same with me and I've spoken to other people as well it's the same with them um so you when did you start actually eating a vegan diet um so initially I was vegetarian I didn't eat meat from about 12 um and then I then watched Cowspiracy when I was about 14 I want to say um and I kind of realized that vegetarianism is great but actually it goes beyond that um and then 
So I started looking into veganism and I kind of, the transition was as such as I was vegan, but then I'd have the odd dairy product. I would, you know, I'd have the odd bit of um, like, yeah, dairy or whatever. Um, and then slowly I progressed into veganism. It wasn't like an overnight switch because I kept making the mistakes of milk powder and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, overall, by the time now I'm fully vegan, but there was a little bit in between where I had to go back to being not plant based at all. Let's talk about the eating control now. Mm-hmm. When did you start wanting to control your food intake? So I think I really wanted to control my in, my food intake as a way to lose weight. That is how it sort of started. Um, and I didn't think anything other of wanting to lose a little bit of weight. It was nothing serious. Um, I kind of, I'd always been a healthy weight. I was on the bigger side growing up just because I was very sporty. And then when I got to about 13, I started to naturally like slim out. But I think... I didn't, that didn't clock with me. I kind of always saw myself as a slightly bigger kid. And even when I'd naturally lost a little bit of weight through puberty, I just didn't see it. So it started off as I'll lose a few pounds. um, And all of a sudden I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. I'm quite a stubborn person. And once I set my mind on something, I will go for it. Um, So I kind of channeled it all into losing weight. And then I realized that by losing weight and being so fixated on it, I could block out other emotions. I could block out all the things in my life that I was struggling with, certain relationships I was having, my fear of bad grades, um, self-worth. That went out the window because all I would have to think about is calories and numbers and losing weight. And that was literally my life for a long time, I'd say. So how long did it take then from you wanting to just lose a little bit of weight because of your health or you know that age when you were 13 or whatever how long did it take to go from being a healthy dieter to this absolute control would you say at that point it was anorexia no so I initially first wanted to lose weight in 2020 and I remember it very distinctly it was I had it in my head when I go back to school in September, so that would have been when I was going into year 10. I was like, I want to be, I want to lose five pounds. I was like, I can do it. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but it went out the window. Um, I didn't do it at all. I just kind of lapsedaisically let it go. However, I did get disordered thoughts at that time. So, okay. Um, so hang yeah. on. So you wanted to lose five pounds, but you didn't lose any weight. Um, I lost a little bit. Okay. Um, but it wasn't maybe a couple fluctuation of a couple of pounds. Right. Okay. So, but you were having thoughts at that point. Yes. So So what what were those thoughts so that people can, you know, I want to, we want to raise awareness really. So people become Mm -hmm. aware of it. So I very, very distinctly remember pretty much my first ever disordered thought. And that was, I stepped on the scales one morning and realized my weight had dropped by a couple of pounds. And I thought, great, I've lost a bit of weight, I'm going to reward myself by having an ice cream, um, which sounds very innocent and quite normalised. But actually, when you're 13, and you're rewarding yourself for weight loss, it's that looking back, that was a red flag. Um, So that was sort of the first disorder thought I sort of had. And then a few months down the line, I honestly couldn't tell you how it happens. But then 
I purged a couple of times. I thought, oh, why I can eat this food, but I can lose the weight anyway, so I don't have to restrict. Um, okay. So that's how that sort of started. But that went by the September time, I'd forgotten all about it. I got because I was so fixated at school again. I just kind of lost. I lost track of my initial desire to lose weight. As I said, I sort of um, lots when I went into year 10, I had forgotten all about this little diet I went on and okay. I was back to normal. Um, yeah. And then in the 2021 lockdown in the winter, yes, um, I, it, was very, it was a very isolating lockdown. The weather was bad. It was online yeah. learning. It was horrible. Um, it was horrible. And I was, I think I thought, well, I we might as well start losing a bit of weight. Um, and it took hold of me in days like in a couple of days I would have called myself anorexic not maybe physically but mentally I was anorexic within a couple of in a week or so because I was so consumed by this wanting to lose weight um and also I'd argue that body dysmorphia set in before anorexia because because everything was online the only people I were really seeing was Instagram people um on TikTok Snapchat so I was comparing myself constantly to these people that had ideal bodies yeah um and I wasn't seeing anything like in the real world I wasn't at school I wasn't in public I didn't realize that these bodies are a minority so I genuinely believe that no matter how much weight I was losing because I was losing a lot of weight I lost just over 15 percent of my body weight in six weeks um I didn't see it I saw no weight loss whatsoever you notice then a very real difference between normal thinking and then anorexic thinking whether would you explain the thoughts as being intrusive did you have any control over those thoughts were they yours or were they coming in from elsewhere this is where it gets very complicated because it felt like it was coming from the rational point of my brain I thought that these points I like to think I was quite a logical thinker so I thought well if we're going out for a meal later it makes sense not to eat that much because then I'll gain weight that's just logic and it might be logical but it that's disordered that's that disordered thing of my intention was to compensate maybe for some people that's okay to not eat before you go out to a meal but for me I know my intention was in order to lose weight um and then the secrecy when the secrecy kicks in that's when I really think someone else may have an issue if they become deceptive if you're quite avert about yeah I'm not I'm gonna skip this meal just for not feeling it that's fine but if you're thinking I'm gonna skip this meal and then fake that you've eaten it like I did and um, then that's when there's an issue. Yes, yeah, absolutely. When you started telling me your breakfast secrets, mm. um, the, the word anorexia straight away, absolutely. And the fact that you were so honest with me most of the time, mm. there were a few times because of anorexia, but you were so honest, we were able to sort of step in and take mm. action, whether you wanted us to or not. We had, as your teacher, obviously, I had a duty of care to you. Um, so but okay talking about being in school what support did you get so so this disordered thinking this obsession about all the calories and this anorexic thinking how did where was the start of the journey where it turned around so tell Mm. tell us about what happened when I or 
what happened with the support? So initially, I remember coming to you to talk to you about being stressed about an exam. Yeah. Um, and then I came back, you're like, oh, come back and we'll just chat it through. So I came back to you um, and you said, in a, I just remember in such an unjudgmental and open-ended way, you said, are you restricting? In just this really like, just in like a nicely concerned way that didn't make me feel under pressure or anything like that. Um, and because I don't think anorexia had t- taken hold completely by then, I was very honest with you. I was like, yeah, I crumble up cereal and put a bit of milk and pretend I've eaten and yeah. I've lost weight. I can't see it, but I don't think it's a problem because I'm still overweight. And I think it was then you were like, yeah, there's a problem here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, That's the bit, very, yeah. Yeah, I was very in denial. I genuinely could not see how I looked at all um, because, yeah, I just didn't see anything. And then you said to me, you were like, right, if you're not careful, you'll get diagnosed with anorexia and you help me sort of like, just think through it and be like, you need to get back on track. Um, I was still in denial. Two weeks later, diagnosed with anorexia, typical. (laughs) Basic, but how it worked was I went for some bloods in the local GP and I remember we had to really push for these bloods. Like they didn't offer us an appointment for a month Um, and my mum somehow managed to get it the next day. But otherwise, we'd waited a month. Um, and then I had some bloods done and it took nine attempts to get blood out because of um, kidney failure and dehydration. So um, how far into anorexia were you at this stage? This is very at the beginning. This is before, just before I'm diagnosed. So you were already having issues mm. even before you were diagnosed. So you said what yeah. was the problem, the kidney function? So I had the symptoms such as my kidneys were dehydrated, um, blood, my blood pressure was very low, my hair was falling out, yes. um, just cold all the time, um, and my skin and nails, my nails were very brittle, yeah. um, and I just couldn't focus. Um, and then after the bloods, we got a call a few hours later, and it was like, you need to go into the hospital. And I just took it very unseriously. I was like, whatever, they're just going to repeat some bloods. It doesn't matter. Um, And that was the beginning of this is the health issue now. This is, yes, it's a mental disorder, but you're also very physically unwell now. Um, But it didn't scare me. It scared other people. didn't scare me. I was like, well, I want to continue restricting. This is my safety. Don't Don't take my safety away from me was how I kind of viewed it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. At what point did we have to start watching your meals and checking that you were eating? At what stage of the game was that? So that was I, fun, wasn't it? Yeah. So I got diagnosed <laughs> in um, Easter break, in Easter break. And 2021. I, 2021. Yeah. Um, and then the first few, the first month I think back from Easter I wasn't allowed to go to school because of my physical health and um, it wasn't really my weight that was the issue it was my like bloods and things we needed yes. to get my bloods back up yeah and um, and they were like and then they said okay you're well enough to go to school now but it's kind of down to you on how you want to deal with it and I uh, forever I will ever forever be grateful that the school said great you can come back um and you said I could eat in your classroom. And if I hadn't have had that support, I think I'd have still been in anorexia now. It's yeah. though, because going to school gave the normality that everybody needs. Everyone needs normality. Um, and it was in your classroom that I actually laughed. I didn't laugh anywhere else, really. And, you know, you have a good time. But obviously, 
it wasn't just me and you there was little anorexia there who was going to shove a pitter down her shirt you know yes. what I mean um so and things like that and the lengths and, I would go to yeah and all the other tricks that you came up with I don't think it's going to be helpful to tell people all the things that no you, you don't want to give people ideas I mean anorexics find ideas. all their ideas anyway but yeah I mean some of the things that you told me I I mean I shouldn't have laughed but it was it was hilarious yeah anyway mm. which was and the fact that you told me these things I, did. I loved that as well that you would and you weren't you know you were open and honest with me as think, well so would, would think, you actually say that anorexia is an addiction like I I likened your behavior to um behaviors of addicts because there are many crossovers mm. and many similarities how does it make you feel being sort of referenced in that same category? Would you say it is an addiction? 100%. And I feel like that's not what comes to, I feel like addiction isn't what comes to mind when people think of anorexia immediately. No. And because I was never addicted to a substance, whereas when people think of addiction, they think of substance. But yes. It's never about the actual substance. No one's addicted to drinking alcohol. They're addicted from the feelings and yeah. psychological impact it produces. Yeah. So for me, there was never a thin enough. And this is why it's definitely an addiction because no matter how much weight I lost, I still continued to want to lose weight. That's yeah. because I was addicted to the euphoric feelings of it, the control yes. I got of it. Absolutely. Um, and just like, just because someone's sober doesn't mean that they're not an alcoholic. Just no. because someone's weight restored or gaining weight in eating doesn't mean that they're not anorexic or in an eating disorder. Um, so, for example, a lot of the time when I was most mentally struggling, I've been in health. I've been a healthy weight before because the mental side will come with the physical side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an addiction because otherwise, my life was literally falling apart in front of me. I had no independence. You know, I was being threatened with hospital admissions. I was isolated. Yeah, I still continue to want to lose weight. And that just doesn't add up. But it's no. obvious that. So you would literally watch your life crumble, but you can't stop. And it becomes a point when you're literally a prisoner to your own mind and it's you're not in control anymore. And I think for me, it clocked when it was an addiction when I used to weigh myself every hour, I'd say, at my worst. I'd weigh okay. myself every hour. Um, and then I realized that when I went to the and I thought I was choosing to weigh myself I thought I'm choosing to weigh myself out of my logical mind and one morning I go down to the bathroom but the scales had been for all 16 years of my life at that point and one day they weren't there um, and I the panic I felt the panic I felt of I can't weigh myself they've yeah. been hidden from me that's when I realized actually I, this isn't a choice anymore I feel like I have this checking this checking pattern this is an addiction this isn't me weighing myself to move my weight anymore this is more than that okay and at what point would you say that your recovery started so you were getting a lot of help you were getting a lot of support at that point your bloods were getting taken the hospital was threatening you with admittance if this or that happened mm. so at what point would you say your road to recovery started because up until now you didn't want you wanted you were getting that hit from that control that dopamine rush mm. from being in control from restricting and all of that how how on earth 
did that change? And and when? So how long did anorexia have mm. that stronghold to starting to get you getting its claws out of you a bit? Now, if you're an addict, you're always an addict, aren't you? So every day is just for the day, isn't it? But so mm. tell me, tell me your road to recovery. So initially I was forced into recovery. Forced recovery doesn't exist, but I was forced into physical recovery. No one can mentally recover for you. Yeah. But um, I was basically forced to eat. I was forced to gain weight. I didn't want to. And I was making no mental progress because I didn't want to. I didn't want to change. Um, hence why I was deceptive. Hence why I was overtly adamant against weight gain, etc. Um, and then... I was in what I'd call quasi recovery for quite a long time where I did the bare minimum. I didn't want to go beyond the bare minimum. Like they give you like the sort of minimum BMI to get to. Yes. Um, and I kind of took the view of once I get to this weight, I'll stop gaining weight. So originally I was like, once I get to 50 kilos, I'll stop gaining weight forever sort of thing. Um, and it naturally, it doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work like that. Your body's not a calculator. It won't stop massively gaining weight. Um, and I realized that even though I'm doing enough to survive, I'm really not living. I was like, I'm I'm just not. I'm in the shell of a life at the moment whereby I'm eating enough, but I'm not eating what I want. I'm, you know, I'm gaining weight, but I'm not gaining enough weight that my body wants to gain. I'm putting a cap on it and things like that. And then I realized that actually I'm going to have to go fully in here. And I think that didn't really start until January 2022, I'd say. Yeah. after I'd made a major slip up of lying about my weight completely and then I was like it needs yes. to change now it yeah. it needs to change yeah yes you would you did you water load or did you yeah, wear so yeah I was I was partly a water loader but then my mum would wake me up in the morning to get weighed very early so I got past that by weight, putting fake weights in my like shorts and things so people so I'd get weighed and yes. then I wouldn't have to water load um and so and then I realized that this life I'm living right now is nothing I kind of thought of I used to think of younger me and I'd be like eight-year-old Molly deserves more than this I'd yeah. be like this isn't the life to live um and I'd always say I'm trying to get moles back which everyone used to call me moles when growing up and things like that um and that was the most genuine form of myself I used to say and okay. um, so that's what I always used to say to myself I'm just getting my actual self back and not this person because I think I was for ages lost myself completely I yeah. might have overtly been myself but on the inside all my notebooks at school were filled out with numbers in the margins calculating and things like that and and I was like I'm being given this support and actually the support doesn't last forever I need to do this now and that's when it kind of hit because GCSEs were being threatened they said yes if you don't if you don't sort yourself out now you're not going to take two CSEs no and that's when I was like yeah this needs to fix <laughs> okay so so some young people won't understand this but you wanted to get better and recover so you could do well in exams and succeed at school yeah, which I think because that, that's part of the perfectionist moles isn't it so but <laughs> that is. you know thank god for that that you know that mm. bought you that thought and I God, you've got to do this. That's really good. And um, you did do your GCSEs. 
and you did, did incredibly well as well. I'm very proud of you, especially in the st- subject that I taught you, your favourite <laughs> subject of all, religious Always. <laughs> but the best RS teacher ever, <laughs> of course. Um, okay, so what... Okay, so when when you were being told what food you should eat, et cetera, et cetera, mm. I remember you telling me that you were not allowed to be vegan. Now I'm very passionate. No. You bought me that sign saying, beware, vegan in the room, or um, verbal be vegan in the room. Mm. Um, and I actually said to your mother about um, vegan food, and tell me why you weren't allowed to have a vegan diet during this time of recovery, this physical recovery? So many dietitians you meet for eating disorders will be very against veganism. They'll say it's a way that um, your eating disorder will try to make you restrict your yes. eating. Yeah. Um, but that was never the case for me because when I had the options of like a ham sandwich or a peanut butter sandwich, I knew because my head was a calculator at this point, peanut butter sandwich would be highly more calorific than just a ham sandwich yeah i'd always go even in the depths of my eating disorder i'd always go for the vegan option every single time um but they there's all these misconceptions that you can't you don't get enough protein you don't get enough this you don't get enough that um which ultimately is a load of rubbish um i when i sort of took control of my eating after recover after physical recovery I did monitor it in terms of making sure I was getting enough protein. I ate so many vegan protein bars. It was ridiculous. But just to prove that I was getting in all the things that I needed. Um, and meat substitutes. I ate meat substitutes. I ate bean burgers. I took supplements just to be on top of everything. Um, so I think the actual idea that, oh, if you have a plant-based diet, you don't get the nutrients you need, I think is a load of rubbish um yeah obviously yeah. I'm I think that too definitely but was that was that why they wouldn't let you go vegan or was it because it's yet another form of food, controlling food because there's that both. mental part there as well yeah it was both I was talking to my mum a couple of nights ago actually and I sent her a meme and it was um when you try to give your family some vegan food and it was this photo of an absolutely horrified face and I'm just like why Why don't you accept it? Why don't you want to try it? And they'll be like, it's the circle of life. You don't want rabbit food and things like that. And I'm like, it's not rabbit food. You can have pretty much a vegan alternative for every single meal you can think of. Like last night I had burger, I had burgers and chips, but the only difference was I had a spicy bean burger instead of a normal burger. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just, and I think people are very quick to judge but then when you tell them, like so many times I've asked my parents, watch this documentary with me about animal cruelty and they won't watch it. But I don't think that's abnormal. Not many people are willing to expose themselves to what could or may hurt them. And I think yeah. a lot of the time, yeah, I think we try to protect ourselves from the reality. And I think most people know what's going on in the yeah. animal world and also the climate world. Like it takes 15,000 litres of water to produce one kilo of beef um, which is crazy um, yeah. and people just I don't think are willing to acknowledge what they're doing is harming the environment um, and also the environmental side the animal side and um, yeah that's what I'd say yeah yeah that's interesting what you say as well and people just refuse to watch this stuff because 
we don't like to hurt ourselves. That's such a, so many words of wisdom there. Um, so your family are really supportive of you being vegan then. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're not overly enthusiastic about it. And um, that every time I think I've challenged, so I grew up Christian and every time I've sort of challenged, challenged my parents, my mum would always say to me, um, God created the animals for us to eat. And even though I don't believe in Christianity at the moment or I'm on my own spiritual path, I'd say, I would still say to my mum, okay, actually in Genesis 1. I was um, going to say, do you not no, quote Genesis 1? Yes, it's a, <laughs> no, in Genesis 1, verse 28 to 29, it says, um, um, I, give, I give you every seed-bearing plant. Yeah. every seed bearing plant I give to you and then in Genesis 9 after Noah's Ark it says I now give you everything every creature that moves after an act of genocide like yeah. um but obviously yeah. it does she won't listen to that <laughs> but I do use that knowledge sometimes to have a go at her because you just think no regardless of your religion if you're religious or not no god would want to hurt their creation or would want other humans to hurt their creation no and I it just bewilders me that people seem to think that being a human is a justification for harming other animals that are ultimately we are animals and just because we have a more developed mind than them and even that we really don't have a hugely developed more mind they think that they can do like cruel stuff basically yeah yeah that is yeah um, I just want to say, um, give you a shout out for your Bible quotes. You were the one that I would turn to in lessons as the RS teacher. Molly, <laughs> what what does this say? And you always have them. And yeah, you're so generous with your supplies as well and your resources and everything. Anyway, let's go back to the, <laughs> back to the point. Um, how you've said that anorexia made you obsessed with food. What... Yeah. Did that mean, was that just that measuring it, counting and everything? So I said to you at one point that you, about you hating food and you said, oh, no, I don't hate food. Is that right? Can you remind me what yeah. you said about that? So anorexia, a lot of it was about restricting something I loved. I've always been a foodie. I love food and always have been. Um, and it was a form of self-punishment of denying yourself something you know you need. And I think psychologically anorexia was about it was really just about denying yourself of your things you need because I'd internalized from a young age that dependence was good sorry dependence was bad independence is good which is true to an extent you need mixtures of both I think um but with anorexia and it was all about not needing and finding comfort and not needing because if I don't need something then nothing can affect me if I, as soon as I say that I need food or as soon as I admit that I'm hungry I'm suddenly vulnerable and my defense mechanism against vulnerability comes crumbling down yeah so it never really mattered to me if you put a plate of fruit or a huge pizza in front of me I would have denied both because if I had admitted that I wanted food or that I ate either either or I'd be admitting that I'm hungry and I need food and I'm vulnerable and I need more than myself to survive, Yeah, which was very, the biggest thing for me. Yeah, it's very complex, very complex. It's so, so complex. And I think um, with anorexia, because biologically, because you're depriving yourself of food, 
your head, your mind is so, so clever. It will make you think about food all the time yeah. because it wants you to eat. Our bodies are biologically, you know, made up to keep, to keep us alive, to do what's best for us. So I was thinking about food 24-7. If so many lessons I was in at my worst at school and I'd be in another planet, mm. I used to have to go home, home and relearn all the lessons I had been in at school because I was thinking about what I was eating for lunch or what I was going to eat for lunch or what was going to be for dinner or what I just had for breakfast. Um, so but I loved food because I would go home and when I was hungry, I'd watch cooking shows. I would, I'd watch people who had really healthy relationships with food on YouTube and be like, I wish I could be you. I wish I could eat like you. Mm. That was just your mind saying to you, look, you need to eat. You're deprived of food. You need to eat. Um, but obviously it was a game of, how how resistant am I? Or a lot of anorexics will love baking um, and then not eating what they bake. That's yeah. a very common theme. Or cooking for your family and not actually eating what they, you cook because you it's a thing of, I'm going to test myself. I'm going to make this really nice cake and not eat it just to prove that I have good self-control. And ultimately, by thinking you're in control, you're actually way out of control. So it's that yeah. irony of by not eating the cake, you think you're in control, but ultimately, yeah, you're miles out of control. Yeah, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? it so is. how do you survive day to day now with being mm. a recovering addict? I think it's been realistic in terms of being able to say I've had issues with vulnerability my whole life. Um, but being able to say I'm vulnerable to food. I'm vulnerable to going back to this coping mechanism. Therefore, I need to put provisions in place that prevent me from doing this. So, for example, I never skip meals um, unless I'm ill, something like that. I would never skip a meal. Um, and also being aware that this is my journey. So when I started college in September 2022, this was the first time I'd really eaten with people, a large group of people, for a year and a half. Um, and I didn't think it would be a challenging experience, but it yeah. was. I remember sitting in this canteen with hundreds of other people, some people not eating, other people eating loads. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, what, what am I doing? So I remember having to adapt this tunnel vision of my, eyes on my plate, eyes on what I'm eating. It doesn't matter. You have to mentally block everyone else. Okay. And just thinking this is my path sort of thing. Um, and also... Every single day, I say mantras. I think you taught me mantras, actually. You were like, they're fine, they're good, they're amazing. And at the start, I didn't really engage in them. But then I realised that in order to love yourself, you really have to be okay with feeling uncomfortable with yourself. So I would literally stand in front of the mirror, and in my eyeliner, on the top of it, it says, I am healthy, loved, and worthy. It literally says those things. And it's still there today. And, and it says Molly at the top of it. And I used to not be able to say the words Molly. I would say I'm healthy, loved and worthy. And then it, then I physically couldn't get the words out of Molly, you are. I couldn't, I couldn't say that. And, and every day I do it, learning to feel uncomfortable with myself. But the more I felt uncomfortable with myself, the more I could say it. And now I can say those words and not feel like a narcissist, like a self-centered person. I can say it knowing... I'm saying this because I deserve love. I, because in order to love someone else, I need to love myself. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't go around saying that. I don't go around going, oh, yeah, because I have really bad body image days. I have really bad mental health days and things. Yeah. It's always how I react to that that matters. Um, and also taking the value out of weights. I don't weigh myself anymore. The scales are out of the house. However, I'm not scared of my weight because it's equally disordered. Are you yes. scared of your weight? Yes. So in medical settings, a couple of times I've had to go to the doctors to get medication doses for other health things I've had, and they need your weight. So it's been like, okay, I can see my weight. I think I went to the doctors the other day to get some medication and they took my weight. And I saw it for the first time in about six months. Wow. And I and I realized I was like, there's no moral value in it anymore. I don't feel any emotions. I don't feel this, I need to restrict or I need to gain weight. I just feel, whoa, you know, and seeing the weight is higher than it's been, you know, when I was obviously in my eating disorder. And I was like, actually, I feel good about this. I feel fine about it. It's all good um, because my value, my weight isn't in my worth. My worth comes from, you know, what's in my heart. And I know that I have a good heart. And my weight doesn't reflect that, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's incredible. You've come so far. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you, Molly. Um, You've written a few articles. Can you send me the links? And I'll put them underneath the podcast so people can read the articles that you've written for various magazines. You So um, those magazines are eating disorder groups, aren't they, and stuff like that? Who have you written for? And also, what other support did you get from those organizations was it beat and stuff like that can you just a few moments on on those yes so beat is the uk mental health charity for eating disorders they are incredible they're a really good um they're really great charity Um, and they provided me with um nine weeks of family online therapy wow the therapy was amazing the family side of it was different but um they offered it they offered it what can i say um so and they and it's all free they're all volunteers and um, and they're so great to other mental health charities to other more into like institutionalized mental health charities so for example i was with feds which is family eating disorder services yeah um and whilst they were great um they kind of reinforced a lot of um eating disorder behaviors for example when they issued with me as meal plans if you don't know what a meal plan is it's basically what you have to eat in a day to and if you follow it you should gain about no a pound a week I think it is um but it would be like you need 250 milliliters of orange juice not 200 not 300 250 and so I picked up these habits from Mm. this thing of measuring stuff I wouldn't drink something if it had 251 milliliters in it I would have probably had a fight or flight oh, moment yeah. and thrown it across the room. Yeah, I remember. Yes, I remember mm. those days. You remember those days. And, and so naturally that put me back a little bit and they always wanted to know my weight. And I don't they I don't want to say they only cared about weight. They didn't. But because it's they're so understaffed, you are prioritised on your weight. And even at my lowest weight, I was never that really, really like skeletal, like what you like anorexic. And yeah. um, so I kind of, I don't want to say feds pushed me to one side, they didn't, but it was always you're a healthy weight and we're not going to give you this sort of help because your weight isn't low enough. Um, so even on, my just let me pause you there. You said that even at your lowest weight, 
did you say you I know your BMI never went dangerously dangerously low mm. which is why BMI we don't really listen to about BMI yeah. do we but what did you say about at your lowest weight about anorexic did you say you didn't look anorexic so at my lowest weights and that so that so in total in my from my start weights to my lowest anorexic weight I lost about two stone uh, which when you're 14 never a good thing will leave you with health issues um but um because of my physique and bone density and things like that my lowest weight was never qualifiable for things like inpatient and things yes. like that yeah okay. um, all right so but ultimately even when I now I can look back and go no I was underweight I was thin but now but at the moment I didn't see any of that so uh, that was... I know yeah I know you didn't because you did show me a photo of your spine um or your or what you looked like um I remember that and it was shocking and the fact mm. that body dysmorphia is so powerful, isn't it? That you couldn't see how skeletal you actually were. It mm. was really distressing to to see that that and the bruises on your spine as well. Oh yeah, I, that was part of the on the addiction side of things. Once all my control around food got taken away, I went to exercise addiction. Yes, um, and even though the actual amount of exercise I was doing wouldn't have been enough to make me lose a lot of weight. It was the compulsion side that I was addicted yes. to. So even though it probably didn't touch my weight, the amount of exercise I was doing, it was just the compulsion of, I have to do this many sit-ups in this amount of time. And even being a school wouldn't stop me. I tried my hardest to get in my rituals. Um, and often yes, you were on my case quite a lot. You were on my case. Yeah. So you were like, I'll walk you to your next lesson. Yes. So I know you don't go to the toilet and do sit up sort of yeah. thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so I think that on the addiction side of things, once all food control got taken away, then I went over to exercise, which was only, it was only sit ups and push ups, but it was so compulsive. Yes, At one so point, many. it was 100 sit ups every half, every 15 minutes at the worst. And then we went on a family holiday in a little lodge and that snapped it in the buds because I couldn't do anything there. And then I haven't gone back since, thankfully. Good, good. Well, is there anything else? So don't forget to send me the links to these articles mm. and they'll be below the podcast because you have done quite a lot of writing. You've also written a little book, haven't you, about feminine uh, theology or something like that. That's really good. So give <laughs> me a link to that as well. We'll put that underneath, see if we can sell that a bit on Amazon. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you that you're in my life. It's been a journey and a half, yeah. hasn't it, <laughs> young girl? <laughs> yeah, um, from 12-year-old RS lessons to 17. <laughs> I know, I know. And you're doing so well now in college and you're so independent now as well in such a good way. So that's that's great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. I wouldn't be where I am without you today. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's so true. It's funny.